Well, good evening again. Merry Christmas to you all. So thank you for gathering here this evening and thanks for bringing the church uh, into a YMCA gymnasium. We're gonna have the worship team back up here in just a a few moments to continue worshiping Jesus through song. But I wanna take just a, a few moments to walk us through the passage that we just heard read a few moments ago where the Apostle John gives us this wonderful introduction on this Christmas Eve, telling the Christmas story, but he's doing it in a a slightly different way, which we'll look at as we talk about the arrival of King Jesus. And so special welcome if you're new to Crosspoint and you're a guest here tonight, just so thankful that you've uh, chosen to spend part of your Christmas season with us. My name is Jamie, and it's my great privilege to serve here as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. One of my favorite stories, a story you might be familiar with, is the the Narnia series uh, written by C.S. Lewis. And so some of you might be familiar with that. Some of the kids here in the service tonight, maybe you've read those books like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you've seen some of the movies. And in one of the books, there's this really interesting interaction that there's this young girl, Lucy, and she comes upon the lion that is Aslan. And Aslan is the one who is sort of the Christ figure throughout these wonderful stories that, that Lewis penned, that Lewis wrote. And here's the interaction. You'll see the kind of the quotes up on the screen a moment. It says this, welcome child, he said. And I can't do a good Aslan voice, but you can just picture this lion talking like, welcome child, he said. Aslan said Lucy, and here's what she pronounces as she sees him, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, she says. You can imagine her being sort of confused, a little you know, quizzical here. He says, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And Lewis is tapping into this truth here that our understanding of God, what I've been praying for each one of us, myself included, all right, that every single one of us here, whether you're new to Christianity or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or you don't even know what's happening right now, you just, I thought the why was open. I don't know how you got here, but listen, the reality is our hope for you is that your view of God would bit by bit just get bigger and bigger and bigger. That Christmas itself would take on a whole new meaning as we begin to understand this big, monumental, epic story that we're part of. And the Apostle John is going to give us this amazing account to tell us about this one who has arrived on the scene. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. For just a few moments, we're going to be in John chapter 1. We realize it's a little dark in here. If you brought a Bible and you can turn there and you've got amazing eyesight, go ahead and do that. Or just know this. Text will be up on the screen, but you can also get your phone out and go to cpwp.life. And if you swipe over the second card that is there, it says message notes. What is up on the screen tonight, the text that we're in will all be there so you can follow along. You can take notes if you'd like. I would encourage you to make use of that. But what we're going to do here is spend a few moments just looking at this Christmas account. Now, if you went and read Matthew or Luke, some familiar accounts of the Christmas story, you would get a lot of detail about Jesus' life, about, about him being born in a, in a manger, and he's placed in this manger, he's born in this, this stable. There'd be stories of the wise men and the shepherds and all of these things. John just sort of skips past that. He's like, yeah, Matthew and Luke, they got that covered. Apparently, John is just out of the gate is interested in saying, hey, less about the details. I want to just jump right into what's the meaning of this whole thing? And so that's what I think is so important for us to explore together tonight. And so John chapter one, the first five verses is what we're going to, we'll look at here initially. And what I want you to see is John is painting this picture. He's telling the story about Jesus's identity. 
And he starts out and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. If we just stop there, we're two verses in and suddenly there's this massive amount of just brilliant theological information that John is giving to us that we don't have time to unpack fully tonight, all right? But I want you to know this, there's a really interesting word that's being communicated here. When John wrote this, when he wrote the word word, okay, it was a very specific, had a very specific meaning. So on the one hand, it's God communicating to us, hey, the communicating one has arrived. Like, I want you to know who I am. I want you to have a relationship with me. I've come to bring this restoration. So on one level, it's about communication. But at a whole other level, think about this, because the word that's used here for word is logos. And this particular Greek word has with it the idea of meaning. It's, it's what philosophers back in that time and place would use. And here's what they would do. They would discuss what is the purpose of a thing? Like what is, where is meaning found? And what I find so interesting is the questions people asked a couple thousand years ago, if we're honest, they're the questions you ask, the questions I ask. We wanna know what's the purpose, what's the meaning? What am I even here for? Like we're gonna go, you know, enjoy Christmas parties and we're gonna open up some presents and it's gonna be great and amazing. And you know, the kids, maybe if you got kids, they'll have fun, but like, is this it? Like, is that, we'll just repeat it next year and maybe the gifts, they'll have an interest in it for maybe a week longer than the year before. We don't know. Like what is going on? So this word here is loaded. John is saying, there's communication happening, but at a whole other level, he's telling us, listen, the philosophers of the day, they battled and they wrestled with what is the meaning? What is the purpose? In fact, philosophically, kind of at that time in that place, there are people that were just like, I don't know. Maybe our calling is to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And they sort of taken on that mindset. Now, if ever there was a word for our time and our place, I think this is it. Like John starts out and just says, I want to talk to you about where to find meaning, where to find life. And it's found in the story of Jesus. And so this is where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's saying, all the meaning of life is found in Jesus. And Jesus is more than just this baby that was born, though he's fully man, he's also fully God. And he's been, he's an eternal being. He's been with God the Father from the very beginning. He actually is God himself. The word was with God, the word was God, in case we would miss this. He was in the beginning with God, saying the whole purpose of the universe, the whole purpose of your life and my life is to be connected to Jesus. That's the Christian story. Now, you might not believe that, but my hope is tonight that you will leave at least a bit more, if, this is, if you're new to this, intrigued by like, huh, what if this was true? What if I found meaning in the story ultimately of what this Christmas story is about. We wanna know what a thing is for. Like if I showed up at your house and we, you were invited me over for some strange reason, you called me and you said, hey, can you help me with a home improvement project? Right there, we know we're in a bad spot because I'm not very good at that. But let's just say for a moment, you didn't know that. And you invited me over and you're like, hey, uh, I've got some, you know, some construction, light construction. Do you have a hammer? And so I'm like, yeah, I do. And I, so I show up at your house but instead of a hammer, as we're getting ready to pound the, these nails, you look over and you're like, what are you doing? Why do you have your phone out? And I'm like, well, it's got a flat surface like the hammer does here. I'm just gonna use the phone to hammer this nail. Like immediately you would be like, okay, I invited the wrong dude to my house for one. But at another level, you'd be like, that's not the purpose that that device is for. 
And if I start smacking that, hammering that nail with my phone, eventually it'll, it'll crumble, it'll disintegrate, it'll fall apart, because that's not the purpose with which it was made for. And what John is writing to us, he wants us to know, what God ultimately wants us to know is there's a purpose that you've been created for, that there's a purpose found in Jesus that nothing else will satisfy. And all throughout life, what we do is we take a, basically a phone and we're trying to pound a nail and wonder, why is this not working? It's because we're not connected to the story of what Christmas ultimately is about. I don't know if you came across this this week or not, but at the end of a, a calendar year, right, this tends to be like, you know, maybe you watch Sports Center and the top plays of 2019 or the best books or the best albums. And there's kind of this year, this look back. Well, dictionary.com released an article this week about the word of the year. And if ever there was a tie-in to John chapter one, I mean, it's showcasing for us again and again the timelessness of the Bible and the timeliness of God's word. You wanna know what the word of the year according to dictionary.com based on searches and things, all right? The word was existential. Maybe you've heard that paired with existential crisis. It's trying to figure out like what in the world is happening. It's fascinating, isn't it? They went on to write this. It says, notable among searches was existential, which we've chosen as our word of the year for 2019 because it captures a sense of grappling with the survival, literally and figuratively, of our planet, our loved ones, our ways of life. Existential also inspires us to ask big questions about who we are and what our purpose is in the face of our various challenges. Fascinating thing. That's our word of the year. It's a perfect description, I believe, of our cultural moments. And we have to ask, what does this story about a baby being born in Bethlehem on the other side of the world a couple thousand years ago, like what does it have to do with where we are? And I wanna put before you, it has everything to do with it. Like if we understand the story of Christmas, if we understand Jesus as the purpose behind all of life, this existential crisis that so many of us face, not just out there in the world, but here in the church as well, I believe we would begin to be like, have our minds and our hearts ordered rightly towards God. So then John continues and he speaks of not only the logos, but the life and the light. And he says, all things were made through him and without him, not, uh, not anything was, not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you know what this is communicating about this, this tiny little baby Jesus, all right, that we're celebrating here on the, the eve of his birthday? It's that before he entered the world, in the most humble of, humblest of ways, he was the creator. And he is the creator. And even right now, he is literally upholding everything by the power of his word. That breath that you just took, it's because Jesus had ordered the universe in such a way he's holding things together. Say, so you can breathe in oxygen, that your lungs can work, that, that there's, your heart is pumping blood through your veins. Like all of these things, it's because Jesus is upholding the world. And it's telling us here, all right, Yes, cute little baby Jesus, but at the same time, Lord, creator, he's made everything. And then it tells us this, in him was life. Now there's another word that could be used here that could be called bios, which would mean like physically how we're made up, but that's not the word that John uses. He's trying to get us to see the word here is zoe. 
and it's logos is zoe, meaning this, that Jesus is the meaning of life. Like if you say to somebody, right, maybe they're annoying you, they're kind of getting under your skin or they do something, you're just like, oh, this is, they're kind of being a pain, right? I'm sure none of you would do that, but maybe with some amped up holiday stress, all right, in the moment of weakness, you say something to them like, because they're just being really annoying or petulant about something and you're like, ugh, would you just get a life? What you don't mean is like, would you just get a physical makeup that you can breathe in air, that you, you know, can have blood running through your brain? No, no, that's not what you mean. You mean at a more existential level. You mean at what John is using at this Zoe sort of level of like, would you have like something better to do with your time? And he's telling us here that Jesus made everything and in him was Zoe, in him was life, and the life was what? It was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, as you reflect back on 2019, and we'll look at this more here in a moment, the reality is because the world we live in, I don't know the particulars of everybody's story that's here, that would be impossible, but I do know this, there was darkness. There was unexpected darkness. There's a darkness that exists out in the world that you just didn't see coming. There's a darkness that reared its ugly head in your own heart that maybe you thought that that had gone away and there it was again. There's darkness in relationships. There, there's this prevailing darkness and God is telling us that through his son Jesus that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That the light is still penetrating the darkness. It's pushing back the darkness. One of the reasons I know this is true is because we're here tonight. That the light continues to shine. That there's this invitation into this story. And so this is the identity that's, now we could spend a whole lot more time on this, but right out of the gate, John is like, Jesus is the creator. He's the one where purpose and meaning and life is found. And he tells us in 9 to 13 about this mission then that he's given. And so in verse 9, it says, this true light then that showed up, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. But notice the really sad irony here, that the light comes into the world, the one who's created everything. Imagine this. You just made the entire universe and you show up on the scene. Like you might have expected, at least I would have, like a pat on the back, or like, hey, good job with good job with the Grand Canyon. That was pretty impressive, right? Like you might have thought that for a moment, but what does it tell us? The true light which gives light to everyone is coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's not just that they didn't know facts about him. It says this, he came to his own and his people did not receive him. That the story of Jesus as he begins to grow up is one of pain, of loss, of suffering. I mean, forget just growing up for a moment. He had to flee. Here he is, this refugee who has to leave with his parents as a young child to go to Egypt because the king in that land is killing all of the baby boys. And then eventually he comes back and he makes his hometown in a place called Nazareth, where the saying around that time and place was, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's like, well, yeah, the king of the universe, Jesus, but right? Like that was the popular notion. And so Jesus lives this life and he tells us over and over again as you read the Gospels, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you hear the account of his life, betrayal, loss, being misunderstood, maligned, his immediate family thinking he was just crazy, like he's lost his mind. His closest friends would betray him, run away in his greatest time of need. He was isolated. Like if Jesus was going to give you the story of like, hey, what was his, you know, his that particular period of time, it wouldn't be all highlights. Real pain, 
His own people would not receive him. But there's this glorious turn here in verse 12, and it says this, but to all who did receive him, because there were some that did, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so John, right away in the very first chapter, he's got this whole story to tell about Jesus and all that he did, but he's got this enthusiasm. Maybe kids that are here tonight, like you feel this enthusiasm, like, okay, I got to get dressed up tonight, but I just want to open presents, right? Like maybe you do that tonight, maybe tomorrow, I don't know how you do that in your family, but this sort of anticipation, that's what John is doing. He's like, I got to tell you about the greatest gift ever. I got to tell you about Jesus. I've got this whole story to tell, but like right away, he's like, can I talk to you about Jesus's mission? He said, there's some that did receive him who believed in his name. Now notice the language here. He gave the right to become children of God. You and I are created to be brought home into the presence of God. That's the storyline of the Bible. It's what we've been looking at in this Advent season. And everything that we pursue in this world that's a good gift from the Lord that we make ultimate is an attempt to say, well, this relationship, will this home, this house, will this car that I drive, will this experience, will that give me that sense of home and of belonging? And all of those things can't hold up under the weight of it unless we come to Jesus and we surrender to him and we say, you're the one that's made everything. You would know best. You are the one that's providing a way home. And Jesus says to those who would believe, he gave the right to become children of God, to be rightly identified again with your maker. Here's what I need you to see. Your entire life, right? And it's gonna kick into high gear if it hasn't already because the calendar is gonna turn, right? 2020, all right? And there's all sorts of things. I'm not knocking this. There's good things. It's a good time of the year to reflect, right? But the achievement mindset is gonna kick into high gear the moment you take that Christmas tree down here in a couple of days, right? And it's gonna be about what are you gonna do in the new year? What are you going to achieve? But what if the fundamental way to live a life of purpose is not in being an achiever, but actually being a receiver of God's grace? This is what John is telling us. God is the one through Jesus. He gave us the right to become children of God. You can't claim that, you receive that. You were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, all right? Or the will of man, but of God. God is the one doing the work. God is the active agent. In this Christmas season, you wanna have meaning and purpose, not just in this season, but all of life. Realize there's a story you're invited into that the meaning of the universe is found in Jesus and he bestows his grace, he invites you in, he tells you, you can rest. We're tired people. And I know you feel that because it's December, and you've been running around, you're right, I went to Publix today, that was a bad idea, right? Like, just like, there's a lot happening. But it's more than just simply breathing in this moment, it's like, can you have a deep rest for your soul? One of the greatest pictures, I, I think, that reminds me of the gospel. Some of you have been around Crosspoint over the uh, years. I believe I've shared this before, but I, to me, it's still one of the most poignant pictures of this idea that we're receivers, we're, we're not achievers. That Jesus is the one who has achieved everything. So a few years ago, my wife and I signed up for a, a shorter distance triathlon, okay, um, over uh, in and around like the Baldwin Park area, which means you had to jump into that lake, which I don't recommend, but that's a whole other story, okay? Um, and we went and we, we did this. And my wife, because she's a far better athlete, um, she actually did well in the race. Like I survived the race, all right? Didn't do too well. And come to find out, I'm just hoping to like, okay, we're done. Can we just go home? They notify her that like 
oh, like, hey, you won your age group, okay? Um, and uh, you finished top three of all, all the women, all right, there. So you gotta stick around because we have this, this medal to bestow upon you. So I'm with the whole group of people that were the not winners that day, right? Um, and then my wife's name was called, all right? And she got to go up. Now here's the, this is why I love this picture. This is my, my younger daughter, McKinley, who's much younger at, at the time. The moment they called Heather's name, without missing a beat, as Heather goes up to the podium, goes up to that block, McKinley makes a beeline for mom, gets up there like she had done anything, right? And begins waving to people like, look at me, look what I've done. Now, I tell you that because it's this remarkable picture of what John is trying to communicate. She didn't earn any of that, right? But she got sort of the accolades, the recognition. She thought everybody was kind of clapping for her. It's like her mom that had actually done the work. And at a cosmic level, the God man, Jesus, he's the one who's given us everything. We simply get the award. We get the accolades. We get his righteousness. We get all the meaning. We get all the purpose. We get all of the zoe, the true life, because of what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. This is why the apostle Paul would say in Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth, this is how simple it is. If you're familiar with Christianity, that's a version of like, hey, you gotta pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you gotta let God do a little bit and then you do the rest, you don't know the Bible, you don't know Jesus, you don't know the gospel. It's so much better than you trying to do it on your own because you can't. In the same way, my young daughter would never have finished that well in the race on her own. There's this bestowing, there's this gift. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's it. And maybe you believe that already and you're here tonight. Praise God, like we're celebrating that reality. This is the Christmas story that you've been invited into. And maybe you don't know that. Maybe you're like, I'm in full on achievement mode thinking I've gotta do, and I've been told perhaps even in religious circles, like I've gotta achieve this. Let John 1 speak to you that you're a receiver, you're not an achiever, that Jesus is the one who's done it all. And we'll close with this. Verse 14 is just mind-blowing. It's this unbelievable verse here. Verse 14, it says this, kind of summarizing again what we saw at the beginning, and the word, the purpose, the meaning behind all of the universe, like it took on flesh and blood, that God himself, the word that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That there's this remarkable invitation that's so inclusive. Anybody can get in on this grace of God. But there's an exclusive aspect to it as well because Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the father but through me. He would say that later on. John would record that in John 14, 6. And what we have here is a demonstration of how did this accomplish? Like, how was Jesus able to bring us in? What was the means? Like, what was the fulfillment of this plan? That this idea of the logos, it's moved out of the realm of something abstract and it got embodied through this amazing gift of God sending his son who's conceived by the Holy Spirit, is being knit together in Mary's womb, all of this, and gets delivered. We're saying silent night. We know it wasn't really a silent night that night, right? Like it's real birth, real delivery, like all of that stuff, right? Jesus enters into that. It's 
communicating to us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Another way to translate that is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The tabernacle was where the people of God would go to enjoy the presence of God as they were led out of slavery toward freedom, but they're in the wilderness and the tabernacle, this tent would be set up. It's a way to communicate that the God of the universe has moved into the neighborhood. He's taken on flesh and blood. And to say the word became flesh means this, that God took on ultimate vulnerability, that God entered as, his, as Jesus, as the son of God, able to be wounded, able to be mocked, able to be hurt emotionally, physically, all of it. That ultimately he took on this vulnerability that he actually could be killed. And that's the story that Christmas reminds us of. That reminds us of the gift of his son that took on this ultimate place of vulnerability. Do you realize that's what the God of the universe was willing to do for you and, and for me? To say, I'm going to enter in. And I'm going to live this life. And sometimes you feel like lonely and isolated and you don't know if anybody can possibly relate. And maybe people say, oh, I know how you feel. And they really don't know this. The God of the universe knows what it's like to be vulnerable. He knows what it's like to be isolated. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience the full range of human emotions. And he knows what it's like to endure ultimate pain, a pain that he shouldn't have had to endure, but he did for you and me because there was a death that I deserve and you deserve and he willingly went in your place and in my place and was cut off from the presence of God. So that what? So that you and I could be brought into the presence of God so that we might actually be able to come home. I hope you're encouraged in that. We'll close with this. There's this, people that study these things, right? Now I'm not a musician, but what I've been told is this, there's a thing that exists called sympathetic resonance. And it's this idea, if you rolled into a room, two pianos that were perfectly in tune with one another in the same room and you struck a note on one, even though you didn't strike the note on the other, it would begin to play that note as well. It's like what was happening on one resonates and now it begins to play on the other. And what God is communicating to us in John 1:14 is that Jesus feels your pain, Jesus empathizes, Jesus has made it possible for you and I to deal with all that existential angst, that, that, that drive for meaning and purpose that we just don't know how to find it. He's like, hey, come to me. I'll give you rest. That is the writer of Hebrews would tell us in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This means you've got access. You're children of God. If you've trusted in him, if you've surrendered, that's worth celebrating. That's what we are celebrating tonight. It's nothing that you've earned. That in the great beauty of this gospel story, the, the high priest also became the sacrificial lamb who willingly went to a cross, that he died in your place and my place. But three days later, he rose, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And so here's the invitation of Christmas, is to know that you and I, in a moment, when we sing songs to God, when we do all that, it's not a God that's indifferent to your pain. It's a God that wants to meet you in your pain. This is what is so unique about Christianity. Tim Keller summarized it this way. He says, if God really has been born in a manger, then we have something that no other religion even claims to have. 
It's a God who truly understands you from the inside of your experience. There's no other religion that says God has suffered, that God had to be courageous, that he knows what it is like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured and die. Christmas shows that he knows what you're going through. And so when you talk to him, he understands. You know the meaning of this Christmas is the God of the universe made it possible for you to be children of God, to be able to commune with him, to talk with him. So I'm gonna close this in prayer and the worship team's gonna come back up and I'll give us some instructions on how we're gonna continue in this worship celebration together. But there's that invitation. When you talk to him, he understands. And so I'm gonna lead us in prayer. So you just stay where you are in a moment. I'll give you some instructions. If you've got kids to go get them, um, if they're checked in to go get them into the service. But for now, just stay put. And let me just lead us in a time of prayer. If you're somebody you're like, I've never trusted in Christ. What is there on the, the right side of the screen? You don't have to use these exact words, but if you're looking for some guidance, of like, what do I pray to, to actually cry out to God and say, I, I want to surrender my life to you. This would be a great prayer to pray. So you join me right now in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to gather on this night to celebrate the birth of your son. We thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to enter into the mess of humanity that you tabernacled among us, that you moved into the neighborhood. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now that you would lead us graciously in a time of repentance. That we would repent, Lord, to you of all the ways we've tried to make the story about us, about what we're going to achieve. So here are the prayers of your people now, God, as we just repent of the ways that we've lived according to very small stories and haven't seen the bigness and the largeness of you. And Spirit, we ask that you would be at work right now applying a gospel comfort to our hearts that you would help us to believe afresh and anew the glorious truths of the gospel. That when we confess who we are that, and we trust in you, that we're brought into the family, that we're children of God. Jesus, through the provision that you've made. And God, I would pray for any here in this room tonight, God, that haven't believed before, that today, tonight would be the moment they go from death to life. Take a moment now just to ask the Spirit to help you believe there are areas of doubt in all of our lives. Ask for his help. God, we thank you that because of Jesus, we are people that are not defined by our circumstances, that we can rejoice even in the midst of pain and difficulty in this moment that you've placed us, we are thankful that you've called us as your church. I pray that you be with us now as we sing your praises. God, I pray that it would just be a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth where we get to experience your presence unhindered, no distraction. And God, I pray as we worship you that you would get your glory, the honor that you're due, and that we as your people would experience just a deep and abiding joy. 
God, we love you. We thank you. We give you praise, Jesus, for what you've done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.